0: Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common, but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us, in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Simprove. Simprove is a digestive health supplement that I swear by after taking it for over two years now. It contains four strains of live and active bacteria that work to rebalance the gut microbiome, releasing the nutrients from your diet and working to help aid digestion and reduce bloating and cramping as well as low mood and stress. One shot of Symprove each morning is the ideal way to maintain the balance of bacteria in your gut for a happier, healthier life. Get 4 weeks absolutely free when you purchase 8 weeks of Symprove from marias.ie to complete the recommended 12-week program. Use discount code UNSPOKEN15 while purchasing to nab a discount. Today on Unspoken, I am joined by my lovely producer Claire Darmody because I am today's guest. For as long as I can remember, I have really struggled with anxiety. So I talked to Claire about this today and about my earliest memories of anxiety, the impact anxiety has had on my life, but also the huge change that I have experienced since realising that if I can take control of my anxiety, it no longer controls me. And this is something we will talk about too.
1: Hi Cloda. Um, firstly thank you so much for agreeing to share your unspoken with me and all of your listeners I think it's really brave and thanks for asking me to facilitate it Um, I know your listeners will get something from it Um, why did you decide to share your unspoken?
0: Firstly I'm really nervous Mm. (laughs) I I purposely decided that we would sit in the opposite chairs so that I'm in the guest chair and it feels really nerve-wracking to be here from this side of the table, I suppose, I decided that I would be today's guest because I ask so much of the other people who come in and sit in this chair. And I thought to be as authentic as I believe myself to be, that perhaps that's something for me to put myself through too, to join them in that. But yeah, I'm really nervous. My tummy is running around in circles.
1: Okay. Well, I understand that, but you're going to do great. And I think um, it's important for you to share your unspoken because it helps further normalize people's unspoken because everybody has something that they think only they have. So well done for coming along today and sitting in the opposite chair. You'll have a newfound empathy for everyone who sits in that chair for the (laughs) next seasons. Um, So you mentioned that anxiety is really what you're here to talk about today. Can you share with us what are your earliest memories of anxiety? You know,
0: I don't even know when I first started to experience it because it was just always there for me. It was always present. And I remember as a young child, like a really young child, just always feeling really sick in my tummy, like always really worried. Um, Always having this sense of impending doom. Obviously, I didn't know the words to put on that then, but always just being worried and afraid and scared. So as far back as I remember, that was how I experienced life. You know, I have memories from as far back as seven about worrying about this new little girl that was coming into my class, being really scared that she would take up a place in my friend's life that would leave less space for me. I remember just always wanting to be near my parents I was safest when I was at home with my mum and dad so even as a little girl when I would when I started going to friends houses I would feel a little bit nervous about that and a little bit anxious about that so I always loved and this sounds so sad but I always loved when my mum would come and get me like I enjoyed the time when I was there but I just it was like my safety was returning when I would see her and I remember one of my really good friends mom's used to often say when my mum was there, when she'd come for me, oh, why don't you stay longer? Why don't you stay the night? And I would be sitting there thinking, no, I want to go home now. You know, it feels safe to be here with my mum and I just want to go home with her. And there were times that I would go for like sleepovers. It was always fine if it was like just me and my friend. But if there were more people there, it would feel more anxiety provoking for me. So I remember one time going for a sleepover with one of my best friends and some of her cousins were there and it just felt too much for me. I didn't know them. And I just felt really sick being there. So I rang my mom and I told her I was sick. Um, And I'm sure I shared with her in the car on the way home that I just, it was, I felt really anxious, but yeah, it was always present for me.
1: So you said that you didn't know necessarily the word anxiety or the word doom. Um, But did you know that it was wrong how you were feeling, that it wasn't did you did you think other people felt like that? When did you recognize that it shouldn't have been like that?
0: No, I didn't because it was just so normal. It was just, I was so used to it that, you know, when it's your normal, you don't realize that it's not, not normal because so many of us do experience anxiety. But I didn't have that cognizance that not all my friends are feeling this way too. When did I start to realize that... It was anxiety. I don't know, like secondary school maybe.
1: So in those times when you'd feel nervous um, and you'd want your mum to come and get you or your pals might have wanted to stay longer, did they notice that you were a little worrier? That you maybe, did they? do you think they noticed that or were you worried about people noticing that?
0: I don't recall being worried about other people noticing that in me. Um, but I imagine that people maybe would have labeled me as shy. Okay. Shy and like quiet. Um, yeah. And I've memories of people throughout my life, like maybe an uncle saying, God, you're really quiet today or you're really shy. Um, and almost wanting just to just be like, that's just who I am. Like, I'm not somebody who comes in and like takes over the room. Um, when I think of my little five-year-old now, she's a little bit shy and a little mm. bit timid. So I'm sure people perceived me in that way.
1: And you mentioned earlier that you would feel it in your tummy. And that's something we, I think as adults, we can still identify with. Was there anything else physical that you remember feeling? I
0: would have those, like, w- those worried thoughts. So I know that's not a physical, but that would very much be part of it. Like the worry in my head, the the overthinking what if this happens? What if that happens? In my body, my heart probably would have pounded. I'm sure I held myself very tightly because I do that now. It's almost as if when I'm anxious now, I like stop breathing. So I'm sure there were many moments where I felt that way when I was younger. Um, Definitely when I feel like I'm really on the spot, I get really like hot and sweaty. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that I felt that way as well, but I don't remember. It's such a long time ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like you said that you always felt safe with your mum and dad, which is lovely yeah. that there was a space that was safe. Mm. But what were what was the danger outside them? Do you do you think?
0: So I know now that I was always scared of rejection. That was always what the worry was. I was always afraid that I would be rejected by people or abandoned by people. And I know that now, but back then I wasn't that wasn't something that was in my awareness. Um, So actually you did care
1: about what people thought. Yeah. Like you said earlier that maybe it wasn't about what people thought, it was what you were worried about, but really you were quite worried about what people thought or people not wanting to accept you.
0: Yeah, for probably for
1: pals and friendships.
0: But even in school, like I always would have been very diligent. Mm. I was always a very diligent student. I would try my best Um, I was hard on myself. So even if I didn't do well in like a spelling test or something like that, I'd be disappointed with myself. And I think I was trying to prove myself. I was trying to prove myself in my relationships that I was of value, that I was worth
1: being in people's lives, which is really sad. I was going to say as such a small little person at Mm. seven or eight. And as you mentioned, your beautiful little girl and all the possibilities ahead of her, ahead of her—what a big burden! To unknowingly, you probably at the time feel like I need to work hard to be accepted, to be valued, to be of value. Yeah. Um, and even though it's hard for any of us to think at seven or eight, we even were aware of that. But that is what you were feeling. That is so—it's just sad, Claudia. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to ask as well: Did you feel it held you back? I know that when I was younger, when I was that age, I was afraid of everything. I wouldn't go down a slide. I wouldn't learn to bike I wouldn't go swimming and I was obviously also quite an anxious little thing did you feel it held you back at things when you were smaller when you were a child
0: I don't think so like I remember doing ballet classes and horse riding so maybe socially so I don't think it held me back in school or going to those like extracurricular activities but
1: in friendships
0: in In relationships yeah yeah um I remember even in my early teens, like in school, say in secondary school, I remember like walking through the corridors. And if I wasn't in close proximity to somebody that I felt safe with, I would kind of put my head down and like avoid eye contact with other people in the corridors. And I think that it was perceived as
1: unfriendly or even stuck up in a way. Yeah, yeah, I think
0: it was. And that was so far, it was like the, the complete opposite of the truth. Yeah. But yeah, so maybe people thought that I was hard to get to know as well. I think I protected myself and held back a lot. So socially it probably impacted me. And I had, I was really lucky because I had a really gorgeous bunch of best friends from when I was four. So actually my oldest friend, um, I met her at a birthday party before I started school and my mom brought me to sit beside her on my first day of school. And my mom said to her, will you look after Clodagh? So obviously my mom was conscious that I was like, you know, anxious. Um, so I had this gorgeous group of girls and I had them the whole way through school. So in primary school and then in secondary school, um, we were in the same class as well. So that felt very safe for me. Mm. Like how I felt safe with my parents. I felt so safe with my close-knit group of friends. So when I'd be with them in school, I'd be fine. But it was like walking down the corridor by myself, I'd feel a bit anxious, yeah. Or, you know, if you like meet somebody outside of school, like sometimes I would, like this is so bad to say, but I'd almost pretend I didn't see people sometimes because I would feel too anxious to say hi.
1: Mm.
0: I think it goes back to, like my self-worth, like the value that I placed on myself. I don't know if I felt that I could take up that place in somebody's life, which is, again, it's really sad.
1: Do you know why that is? Yeah, I do. No, no, Now a <laughs> psychologist. Yeah. After eight years in university <laughs> and many euros
0: spent in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was, it all completely stems back to being um, given up for adoption.
1: And When were you told you were given up for adoption? Claude, I know lots of people will know that story, but just for yeah. people who don't know.
0: Again, I don't remember ever being told that. It was just something that I always knew. So I was obviously told as a little tiny tot. Um, and I never really minded that. Um, at the time, you know, I didn't, re- when I was really young, I don't think I felt a sense of like difference because of that Mm
1: -hmm. but I Or not a sense that you were aware of Yes Yeah
0: Yeah. So maybe subconsciously Subconsciously. Obviously I did carry it because you know I'm talking about when I was really young like not feeling that I belonged in in my relationships feeling scared in my relationships feeling Um, scared of rejection and
1: abandonment so on the surface you feel looking back I was told or I wasn't told I always knew and it was fine and I didn't differentiate myself but then a little bit deeper if you weren't in somewhere very safe with mom and dad or your really good close-knit friends Mm. you felt very anxious really worried and really now as an adult and and as an earlier adult you identified that as being a fear of rejection so two things were kind of going on there
0: yeah and the thing is Now with all of the knowledge I have, I was never rejected, but it was this felt sense of rejection that definitely stayed with me. So yeah, I felt that really deeply, but probably not consciously. I wasn't aware of it consciously.
1: And probably it wasn't, as you said, anything that was, um, nobody showed you rejection. It was just something that you were feeling internally. But that's where a lot of these feelings live, isn't it? Internally. And
0: when I became a mum, when I had my first daughter, It really hit me because as this tiny newborn
1: baby. Totally reliant on you. Totally
0: reliant on me. I saw like how hugely worthy she was. Like she didn't need to do anything just by being this beautiful little baby. She was so worthy. And as I've watched my children grow up. They bring so many smiles to people that don't know them as they walk down the street. They bring so much joy and light into the world with our family, but just with everybody. So when I, as a mom and as I've witnessed that, again, it has made me feel really sad for that little girl that I was who didn't feel of value. Yeah. And I think
1: we've often witnessed that on Unspoken when somebody gets to the other end of their story. Mm-hmm. They feel quite sad when they look back at the bits where it was really hard. Yeah. So you mentioned when you became a mum, but maybe I could bring you from kind of teenage Chloe to, to the next bit. Before you became a mum, before you were getting married um, and you met your lovely husband, Did the, what did the anxiety do as you got older? Did it escalate? Did it continue? Did it change at all? It was really,
0: really present um, in my, like, early like we'll call them romantic relationships but you know when you start to date yeah um again that fear of rejection and abandonment was like really really strong for me and the more significant a relationship became the worse it got so even if i think of my early relationship with paul like i was terrified of losing him and probably coupled with the fact that i didn't feel like i was that worthy as well and he was this you know Lovely. Did you think he was too good for you? I don't, I don't remember consciously thinking that. But I think, yeah, again, deep down, maybe that was how I was feeling because I would be terrified that he would leave me. Like he would go on nights out and he is such a trustworthy person. He has never, ever given me a reason not to trust him. But I would be terrified. Like I would, if I, particularly if I was like at home, not doing something. If I was busy, if I was out as well with my friends, I would just distract myself. But if he was out or if he was on holidays, that would terrify me. Not because of anything he ever did. He was always so loving and caring and so patient with me. But yeah, I would be terrified. So I remember like- What would you be terrified of? That he'd meet someone else, realize that I wasn't actually worthwhile like being with, that he could do better, yeah.
1: So yes. the words that you're using there suggest that you did think you weren't good enough for him, yeah. but really maybe it's that you didn't feel your value matched his value. You felt yeah. he was very valuable and you didn't feel you were so valuable rather yeah. than thinking I'm not good enough for this man. Yeah. Um. So before Paul, mm. um, who was lucky enough to land someone like you, before you even met him, you mentioned earlier in your earlier romantic relationships mm. that the anxiety got worse. How did that look?
0: It was when I was apart from them. Like I said, if Paul was on a night out, if kind of earlier boyfriends were, it was when I felt threatened. So they would Threatened be, with what? Threatened that, you know, they would be around a group of girls or it sounds so like pathetic when I say it. It doesn't. But it, I felt it so deeply, but yeah, it was when I felt threatened. So they'd be, you know, at a party and they would be like- a group of girls there or they'd be on a night out or on a holiday. Um, Yeah.
1: And like, I know you say it sounds pathetic, it doesn't. I'm sure lots of people listening will understand this. Did you know it was probably not a real concern, those worries that you had? Could you talk yourself down off a ledge, if you like, or did these feelings feel so real when you were having them?
0: So it's something that I got, I was much better able to manage them when I started working on them. So I like completely went from like A to Z with that. So now, you know, when Paul is away, I love being in the house and having like the TV to myself and I feel so relaxed Um, and I'm like thrilled that he's getting some time out with his pals. But it's been a lot of work to get to that stage now. And I don't know if I ever believed that I would be where I'm at now. Like I trust him so fully now and I trust myself so fully now and I be, I know my worth now and how special I am. Um, But yeah, I remember times where I'd be in my bedroom, you know, in my late teens and I'd be like frantically like journaling, trying to get the emotions out that must have been recommended to me at the time. And like I would be, it's funny because I'd be like cursing and blinding in my notes, you know, I'd be like, fuck, 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 because I was feeling so angry. And like- angry. Yeah, what were you angry about?: I wonder, is it that it's easier to feel the anger than to go to like the fear the fear or the sadness? So yeah, often it would be like anger.:
1: So you felt you'd loads of energy, you were feeling all these feelings that we now identify as anxiety, mm. but they were coming out, they were processing as anger.: Yeah, and, you and were I was pissed off.:
0: Yeah, and I'd write, and, and like, it was never because someone had given me reason to be angry ever it was just how I was feeling. And I would write like really hard on the paper, you know, when you like indent like five pages behind the page you're writing on. But so, so that helped, or I'd go for like a really brisk walk, but often it was at nighttime that these Mm -hmm. things would happen. Um, you know, sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and check my phone, you know, to see if there was like a message or, and then if, if a message came in, so say in the early days with Paul, if a message came in saying, you know, I'm home now, I had a really good night, you know, chat tomorrow, I would feel safe then. Like the danger had passed.
1: What was the danger, Clodagh? The, is it the rejection? Is that yeah. what the danger yeah. felt like? Yeah. Because it's interesting that you, you're mostly focusing on romantic relationships at this point, And that's when that stuff all starts being really prioritized, right? Because remember,
0: point. I was so secure with
1: my friends by yeah. this stage. And your folks. Yeah. Like they were perfect as yeah. well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, this was where the threat was. Yeah. At that time of my life. He's going
1: to leave me. I'm yeah. not good enough for him. Yeah. And yes, the ultimate fear was rejection. Rejection. Yeah. So in your, like lots of people listening who identify the feelings that you're talking about, the anger and the the, the nervous tummy and the the um, flushing and the feeling hot and stuff was like, they w- would recognize that, but maybe in other parts of their life, was it, was it showing itself in your career, in your studies, in your college
0: yeah so <laughs> when i think back now <laughs> during my leaving cert people which is are, an anxious time for everybody which is an anxious time for everybody people always say to me oh your 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 energy is so soft and gentle i was such a bitch to my mom <laughs> during my leaving search, oh my god I was so wound up I remember one time she she made me a curry for dinner you know she's like here's a gorgeous dinner you know eat your dinner and you can go back to study and I was like do you know how many calories are in this naan bread and I like stormed out of the room like, oh my god I'm so ashamed of myself when I think back now but yeah so but was, some
1: of that not just teenage angst like we're all bitches when we're that age ask any of our mums Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because like you said that you were kind of fine in school. You were okay to do activities. You were a perfectionist. You wanted to yeah. succeed at everything. But the but so it did kind of come through in the study because yeah. you wanted to not fail. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to not let people down. Yeah.
0: And also my friends were all really bloody smart. So, you know, I was like trying to keep up with them as well. You were competing.
1: Yeah. On your own. Like yeah. Like nobody else is aware yeah. of this competition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. God, no, my friends would, would never have been aware of that. But I was always trying to be good enough to prove myself.
1: Yeah. It's easy when you look back now to explain it all away. But I'm sure yeah. when you were feeling those things, that anger, journaling madly mm. with all the language um, or shouting at your mum, it didn't feel <laughs> as easy to explain because it just felt like tough.
0: Yeah. But it was so normal to me, you know, that I don't even know if I had like the comprehension that... This is like, I felt that it was hard, but I don't know if I was like, God, I'm experiencing something really difficult
1: now. This is just, that was just my life. So that's what I wanted to ask you next. Did you talk to about, to it? Did you talk about it to anybody? Did you, had you got a name on it now? Would you have been able to describe in your head yourself as anxious?
0: Yeah, at that stage in my late teens. Like, so I did my leaving cert when I was 18. Um, yeah. I would have known that I was like, had like, I I guess I would have maybe described myself like as a worrier, that I have an anxious disposition. Um, And around that time as well, I was figuring out a lot of the adoption stuff too. Okay. So that period, like my late teens was actually quite a difficult period for me because I was recognizing, actually, I was recognizing at that time why life was feeling so hard for me. And I was feeling very alone in that because I didn't know anyone else that was adopted. Like I would look at my best friends and I would see where they fit in their family. You know, they would look like, they would have features that, you know, would look like their mum or their dad. They would have siblings that looked like them. Um, yeah, so that that time, I, I found that period really hard in my late teens and starting to understand myself a bit more and starting to put words to it and to connect
1: it. Did you have feelings of anger about that?
0: I think any anger I carried, you know, I I can say now with certainty, I was never rejected, but it felt very different to me in that stage of my life. It did feel like rejection. I wasn't rejected, but I felt like I was, which wasn't the truth. So yeah, I think I did carry anger, but anger is probably not the emotion that stands out to me the most at that time. It was like the worry.
1: The worry Um, again, the worry and not feeling safe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I never felt safe. Like I think back now to a time in my teens and um, you'll laugh at this, but we, my friends and I were going to sneak out one night.
1: Done it, done it.
0: <laughs> and um, <laughs> have a West Coast cooler on the yeah. beach. And I was so anxious that I told my mum. So I was like, "Mom, there's something I have to tell you. I just can't like carry this. It's too much for me. We're going to sneak out tonight. And she was like, she's like, go like sneak out, but just promise me you'll tell me if you need me, if something happens. But again, that was like safety to me. That was like, if something goes wrong now, I can just go and wake her up and she's not going to be cross at me.
1: Your mom sounds like she handled that like a rock star. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, so the anxiety was there, but safe space was still with mom. Mm, Did you sneak da- out? And my dad. And your dad. Did you sneak um, out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and i a ball on the beach, and nothing went wrong with my West Coast cooler. But which um, you'd been so worried something would go wrong, yeah. or you'd been so worried that you were going to let down your mom and dad.
0: I was, some, I was worried something could go wrong. Okay, it's like the catastrophic thoughts. Yeah. So I was worried that someone would drink too much and like be lying comatose on the beach, or someone would go for a swim and drown. So what we haven't talked about is probably those catastrophic thoughts that I would have too. And I don't really remember them. It's only that I've remembered that example now that that I remember having those catastrophic thoughts. But certainly I remember having like catastrophic thoughts are still a part of my life. But it, I suppose now I know what they are and I know what to do with them when they pop up. So I don't get as scared anymore because I know that it's not fact and it's not true.
1: So perhaps some of the danger and the safe. The words around danger and feeling safe actually might have been part of this catastrophic, intrusive thoughts that you were having. Yeah. Um, that the worst thing, you'd imagine the worst thing was going to happen.
0: Yeah. And remember I said, like, I always had that kind of impending sense of doom. So yeah. it would be the catastrophic thoughts. But yeah, I don't really remember. Like if you asked me now if I could identify them from younger years, I don't really think
1: I could. They just became your normal.
0: Yeah. And again, I didn't know what
1: they were at the time. So,
0: yeah.
1: Did you, so you didn't really talk to anyone about it?
0: So when I was trying to figure out that adoption stuff around the age of 17, my mom and dad organized a therapist to come to our house actually. And I just was not ready at all to talk to the person. So I didn't engage. I, you know, like I sat there, didn't talk to them. I remember talking to one or two friends around that time. But it was a big deal for me to like open up in that way to th- to them. And again, these are girls that I was best friends with for like 12 years or 13 years at this stage. And were th- you opening
1: up to them about the adoption or about the anxiety?
0: But uh, probably the adoption. Hmm. And actually, maybe I didn't talk about it that much because I felt at that time, and this was a really hard part of it, that this was something to be ashamed of. So I felt ashamed for
1: feeling the way that I did. So you felt ashamed for being angry, anxious, upset around the adoption. Why do you think that was? I felt it was,
0: I felt like it was a weakness on my part that I was struggling. I felt struggle was something to be ashamed of.
1: Isn't it interesting that now you dedicate your life to helping other people feel that it's okay to feel a struggle yeah. and that this podcast is exactly yeah. that.
0: And that's the whole reason like that we are sitting here today because of that little girl and that teenager that did feel alone and did feel like that it wasn't normal to struggle with anxiety or, you know, when I look back now, of course I felt anxious. Of course I struggled with feeling self-worth. Of course I struggled with feeling safe in the world because of my early experience And I now can say that to myself with compassion, but back then I couldn't.
1: And I wonder as well as if the feelings of um, real fear around letting people down and disappointing people was part of you not wanting to say you weren't okay with the adoption in case it upset your mum and dad. I
0: remember at times, you know, maybe kind of saying, I'm struggling with this. And I think sometimes with adoption the response to that can be but you're so lucky your parents love you so much you know you you, I was an only child so I was spoiled rotten so I had everything I could ever want so I think that was almost what I would receive back like aren't you so lucky and yes I was so lucky to be in the place that I was like, I loved my parents so much. I felt so safe with them. I I wouldn't have wanted it to be any different, but I think at that stage, if, if someone had said to me, I know, I know that you feel this way and I know that's really hard. And I'm sure they did. You know, as I said, Can't you
1: be lucky and struggle at the same time? And then maybe nobody made you feel that was okay.
0: Yeah. I, and maybe I'm selling people short in that, you know, maybe people did say that and I just didn't hear it. Just
1: how you felt at the time. But
0: it was how I felt at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I think often I say that to myself now and to my inner child. Like I say, it's okay that this was hard for you. And I say to my clients and I say to all of my guests on Unspoken. Um, so maybe I am trying to fulfill something that I didn't get back then in mm-hmm. a way.
1: So you'd got a little bit of a handle on why you might have felt the anxious feelings that you've described and you had talked to some people about it. Did you think that other people ever felt the same way?
0: I would have had an awareness that one of my friends experienced anxiety too. And we would, I think we relied on each other a lot because of that, you know. Uh, What age were you then? Like again, late teens is what's coming to mind. Right. You know, when you start like going out to like nightclubs and like socializing, you know, I suppose at that age, you're like entering the world in a different way. It's not like you're having friends over to your house. You're like going to nightclubs, going to like bars, things like that. Did that feel scary? Yeah. So we would go, like, I would go with my friends. I'd walk in with my friends and I would feel safe with them. But again, it's like, as I'm walking into a room, I would almost avoid con- eye contact with people because I didn't want to have to, like, it would feel a lot for me to be like, hi, how are you? Which again, <laughs> like it sounds like, I-, I think it sounds really sad that that's what I experienced and that was really hard for me at the time. So yeah, I would have known one of my friends, Perhaps, you know, to use the language that I used earlier, like had an anxious disposition too. But I don't know if we ever really talked about it.
1: And so it's interesting there, you're describing a bit of social anxiety. Let's face it, when you were going out as a young person and other people I remember would have been dying to get out and chat to everyone and get dolled up. But now that you're working with clients, isn't that very common?
0: I think one of the greatest gifts anyone ever gave to me was a therapist was challenging me on it one time. I was like, "Cloda, like 90% of people feel this way. Like you are not alone in that. When you enter a room, like 90% if not more of people feel really anxious. Like that's normal. And now because I have that awareness now and probably the, m- the more training that I did, I can like really see when people are feeling anxious as well and that helps me to feel less alone I suppose but again I've gotten better at managing that so I know what to do now like when I'm when I'm going to an event or going to speak or doing something like today where I'm feeling really anxious and really nervous Are you
1: nervous. still feeling anxious now? Uh, I was when we started. It's going down. The number's going down now. Yeah. Good. But I
0: know what to do to look after myself in that.
1: And that was what I was going to ask you actually, because I think what's really helpful for anyone listening who's in a similar position earlier on their journey or at the same place um, is to hear how you learn to manage it because it does sound like you've learned a lot about it. Yeah. Or what do you do to manage it maybe?
0: Mm. So I think the biggest part or the first part for me in learning to, I suppose take control of my anxiety so it doesn't control me is like the understanding of what the process is why we experience anxiety and like the system that's activated in our body because it's like a cycle so I know now if I can break that cycle if I can help myself to feel safe that I'm going to feel better Mm -hmm. so it's that understanding and awareness of that process that really helps then it's like You know, if I'm having a catastrophic thought. So I'll give you an example. I um, dropped my girls to school and to creche recently and I went home and I was in the kitchen and I heard a child cry. And for a second I was like, is that one of my children? And I was like, no, my children aren't here. They're in school and in creche and they're safe. This is like the internal conversation Mm -hmm. I was having. But then I had this thought, but are they safe? You know, what if the building goes on fire? And in that moment, I was able to challenge myself on that and say, Clodagh, you know, what are the chances of the building going on fire?
1: But can I ask you that years ago when those catastrophic thoughts, as you call them, were even intrusive thoughts, um, when they came, yeah. did, you, were you, did, you, did you really feel those? Because I yeah. mean, when you said that about the building, I'm, I'm going, that's like not really likely, Chloe, But it took you a while to get to a place where you could say, that's not rational. So yeah. that must have been very scary to see, to hear the, to hear those thoughts and think that's a reality. That's a possible yeah. reality or that's a possibility.
0: Yeah, I remember. I like can't um, be exhausted
1: if I was worried at that level. Yeah,
0: yeah, I was tired all the time. I can't tell you the amount of times that I went to the doctor to get my bloods taken because I was always so tired. And it was because of the constant worrying.
1: You're Like your body's in a constant fight or flight mode. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, when my dad got sick, I'll never forget, you know, that phone call. So I was in Manchester and my mom rang me and she said, Clodagh, your dad's sick. And we are in the hospital and he needs to get an x-ray. And I was like, what's wrong? What's happening? Um, And that phone call, you know, when you get a phone call like that, it's it's always going to stay with you. And, and when he got sick, it was very serious, very quickly. You know, it was like kind of worst case scenario very quickly. Like how your thoughts had always been. Yeah. Like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And so more than ever, then phone calls would really cause me anxiety. You know, that like catastrophic, like.
1: A phone would go and you'd think, what's this now? Yeah.
0: And I would really feel that in my body. Like if I was going to get a phone call from my mom or from anyone, it's like this is, I would get a fright. If, I, if my phone would ring, I would get a fright. Um, or like after my dad died, I remember my anxiety so my anxiety intensified at like times where i was feeling like vulnerable or stressful times in my life so after my dad died obviously that was a really difficult time for me and my anxiety was so heightened at that stage so that was um 10 years ago and i remember going to the cinema and we went to see um, Gravity the movie with Sandra Bullock.
1: (laughs) It's a bit anxiety um, inducing anyway
0: isn't it? But I was in the cinema and I was with Paul and I just I think it's the first time I think it was like the start of a panic attack I had never had a panic attack and I've never had one since but I just felt there's like a scene where she's like rolling through space in like a little kind of capsule that's like um, separate to the spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) But I was so terrified in that moment. Like I was so terrified in the cinema. And then I remember driving home that night, we crossed over Lewis tracks and I was, I really thought that Lewis was going to come and hit us. So my anxiety was really peaked at that time. Um, so yeah, in that moment, I would have found that really scary. You know, it's easier now when I have a much better handle on my anxiety to catch myself and to challenge the catastrophic thoughts, like back then, if my mum had rang me, I wouldn't have gone straight away to, "Come on, Cloda. Like,
1: of course, yeah. And are, just speaking to you as a psychologist, um, as well as somebody who's who's worked through their anxiety, I know you live with it all the time. But is that common? Is that normal? I hate to use the word normal, but are those intrusive catastrophic thoughts? Are they often hand in hand with people who suffer with anxiety?
0: Up to 94% of people experience intrusive thoughts.
1: Not just people who suffer with anxiety. I'm using air quotes because I know we all have anxiety and it's there for a reason and we go up and down with it, but up to 94% of everyone. Yeah. Okay. So intrusive thoughts are really common. Can you, can you like what, like can you give us advice on what to do with that? So the best thing that you can do for
0: yourself if you experience intrusive thoughts, which you know, everybody does, is to recognize that they're not true. So what that intrusive thought is, it's not factual. It's not true. It's just like a misfired thought. So often people's intrusive thoughts will center around violence or sexual behaviors. And that can be really terrifying because you could have something that like really shocks you, a thought that really shocks you or you find really disgusting. And if you attach meaning to that, that's where it gets really scary.
1: Because it gives it a bit of power.
0: Yeah. So if you have a really like deviant sexual thought, that can scare the bejesus out of you because you could think, oh my God, what is wrong with me that I had that thought? That is disgusting. But if you recognize that that's just a misfired thought, it's not reality, it's not factual. It doesn't
1: belong to you, really. Yes,
0: and it's not something, it's not like a premonition of something that's going to happen. It completely takes the distress away. Okay. So that's really helpful. So when you have an intrusive thought, just recognize it. And then just like, oh, I'm having an intrusive thought now. So like in that kitchen that day, I had that like catastrophic thought, my children's school could go on fire. And I was able to recognize, no, that is just a catastrophic thought. That's not the reality. The chances of that are really low. And in that moment in the kitchen, I just went about my business. I was able to get on with things. Whereas previously, I would have that like overthinking loop. What if, what if, what if, what am I going to do? And I would feel that terror in my body. But now because I'm so used to catching these thoughts and recognizing what they are, I can shift back to
1: peace very quickly with all the practice that I've done. So that's there that how you manage it is um, to find a place that you feel safe in yourself. And also then when the intrusive thoughts come in to acknowledge that they are just a misfire thought. Yeah. And is there anything else you do to manage your anxiety? The biggest, I I think I've said this for every point, but another (laughs) really
0: impactful thing that I have really worked hard on over the last, say, 10 years is self-compassion. Yeah. So now if I'm feeling really anxious, I will talk to myself in a completely different way. You could hear some of... How I berated myself coming up at different points of our conversation. You know where I said, "Oh, yeah. I felt like that sounds so pathetic," but now I, if I am feeling really anxious, I can say to myself, "It's okay. It's okay that you feel anxious, Claudia. This is a really normal way to feel. Many other people feel this way. It's normal. It's okay. It's valid. It's allowed." And I would reassure myself in that and reassure my inner child. You know, if I am feeling scared inside, I will say, "You are okay. You are safe." And it's okay that you feel this way. It's normal. And then I will also say, what do I need in this moment? So I might need a hug. I might need to just practice some breathing and ground myself. I might need just some space and time to myself. Um, so that self-compassion has really changed things for me.
1: And is it okay to say, as someone who has struggled with those things as well in the past, It's okay to admit it's hard to get to that place of self-compassion. It's work. All of this stuff that we do on our own personal journeys, it's work. It never really ends, but you can get to great places. Is that fair? Because I think I would hear that and think the self-compassion bit's a hard one to get to. Mm,
0: Yeah. So I've worked on this for years, years and years and years. And as I said, spent many euros in
1: therapy. (laughs) And a lot of training.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So... And I don't think I would have believed that I could get to the place that I'm at now. So for people that are listening, that are in the thick of it, Mm. I promise you that you can get to the place that I'm at where life feels so much easier now. I'm so much kinder to myself. I sit at home and pause on nights out and I'm thrilled to be by myself. You know, and I'm thrilled he's having a good time. He's been away all week and I've just been like...
1: Living your best life. Living my
0: best life at home. Like watching all the girly shows that he won't watch with me.
1: But I think it's like, give yourself self-compassion if you don't get to that bit overnight. Yeah. Let yourself off the hook on the fact that... Because I do think people read about affirmations or they read or they're told their panic attacks are kind of under their own control and it's really hard things to hear. Mm. But stick with it, right? You'll get to the better bit.
0: Yeah. And... My life has changed because of the therapy that I've done. Like people often say to me, oh, well, sure. Other people have it far worse than I do. It's almost like they don't want to take up a space that could be somebody else's. If you are struggling, do something about it. Get some support for yourself because you deserve to feel better. Life can feel easier and you deserve for your life to feel easier. And... It's taken me definitely a long road to get here and life is easier. Yes, anxiety still pops up for me. Of course it does, it always will. But now that I know how to manage it and how to look after myself in it, it's much easier.
1: And you talked in an earlier episode to Sandra who had ADHD and she was diagnosed as an adult and she spoke to you towards the end about how we don't always look at the pros or the benefits to having a diagnosis or a label like ADHD. Mm. Like people who are anxious have points that are often positive as well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So if I think of the benefits that some of that has given to me, I'm so compassionate with people. Um, I can really feel how other people feel and what it's like to be there. And I think as well, it prevents me from like, well, sometimes jumping in with the solution because I know what it's like to be in that really horrible place. So yeah, I'm compassionate, I'm empathic, I'm probably a little bit more patient with people as well, like my five-year-old, because she sometimes comes in to me and says, you know, mommy, I have a pain in my tummy, which is again, really sad when I think of her, you know, that's the last way I want her to feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but with anxiety can come empathy, because I think people sometimes get labeled as anxious and mm-hmm. it's just seen as a negative. But people mm-hmm. that I know who have anxiety often are, as you said, very empathetic. Yeah. And they have a kindness or an understanding. Yeah. It, I, I mean, this is an obvious answer, yes, to me, but I'll ask you anyway. It must give you an incredible insight into your clients. Sometimes
0: I feel really vulnerable talking about my own experience because it makes me fear how people will perceive me. How do you mean? So I will fear that if someone hears me as a psychologist on today's episode, they will think, oh my God. You know, how can she help me if she can't even help herself? You know, that's like the fear. That's where I Mm -hmm. go to. Um, But I know deep down that I can better support people because of my understanding.
1: But also, like, if that was the case and 94% of us have intrusive thoughts, only 6% of the population would have to make up all the therapists (laughs) and that wouldn't work at all.
0: No. And like you said, you touched on this, but anxiety is functional. it's there to protect us to keep us out of harm's way it's just the hard part is that whether we actually are in danger or whether we're just telling ourselves that there's danger there our body responds in the same way so whether I was standing in front of a car that was coming speeding towards me or whether I was at home in my bedroom when I was you know 18 journaling because I was really worried because a boyfriend was you know around girls (laughs) (laughs) my brain and body were still responding to that threat that I yeah. was telling it was, it was there. So yeah, I do hope that my own personal experiences help my clients. I do hope that they can feel the compassion when they're with me. Um, would I change it? No, but I think I would have just made it a little bit less, like turn down the volume or turn down the dial mm. and the anxiety that I had. Um, and look, Claire, a lot of people, have far more severe anxiety than I have ever had. So when I say that I have learned to manage it, I never would want to ever dismiss somebody else's experience because it's really hard. This is, you know, years in the in the making that I'm sitting here being able to say these things, but yeah, it has taught me a lot.
1: And I think that sharing your story today, I know the main purpose you wanted to do that was, you know, to show the authenticity to all your fabulous listeners who are so supportive and give their feedback and those who share their stories that we don't get to see and want to come to you and on your Instagram page, just you want to to show them that everyone has an unspoken. And I think that is something that you've done. And I really don't think that anybody would think less of you in your profession. Before we wrap up, and this has been gorgeous, by the way, um, if someone out there is struggling, is there like advice beyond, I know you said get help. Is there any other advice you'd like to give people listening?
0: Just try to be gentle with yourself. Try to, you know, support yourself in the way that you would support somebody else who's struggling. We all struggle. We all experience anxiety. We all have hard days and weeks and sometimes months and years. Be as kind and gentle with yourself as you can be even if it's hard at the start even if you don't really mean it at the start speak to yourself in the way that you would a friend who was experiencing you know what you're experiencing now.
1: Okay that's really helpful. Clodagh thank you so much for joining me on your own podcast and for sharing your unspoken so bravely. Well done. I'm really glad it's over.
0: <laughs> Anxiety is a speciality of mine. Not just because I've experienced it for as long as I can remember, but also because such a huge number of my clients and followers struggle with it too. One of the most powerful things I have learned from my own anxiety experience is that you can take control over your anxiety so it no longer takes control of you. One beautiful way I lower my anxiety when it arrives is to breathe into it, to create safety within myself and to help me and my nervous system to return to calm. Let's give this a try together to see if it brings you as much peace as it does me. I really hope it does. Wherever you are, as you listen to my voice, I invite you to take a moment to pause and to breathe. If it feels safe to do so, Close down your eyes and gently bring your awareness to your breath. Inhale deeply from the base of your belly, slow, steady, deep breaths in and out. In and out. In and out. Notice how your body begins to respond to this beautiful stillness. Now I invite you to bring your hand to your heart and to lovingly place it against your chest. Feel the rhythm that welcomes you here. You are safe, all is well. There is nothing for you to do in this moment, except be. Continue to breathe as you connect with your heart. Inhale deeply and let go. Inhale deeply and let go. Inhale deeply and let go. go. Take a few moments here enjoying the sensations that arise and the peace that comes. As you engage in this gentle stillness, It's time now to let go. To let go of all that you have been carrying. For you are so tired. It's time to let go of all the thoughts you've been trying to hold on to. It's time to let go of all the worries you have been carrying on your shoulders. It's time to let go of all of your fears. For it is time now to rest. As you engage in this process, I invite you to visualize yourself taking a step back from all of the things that have been burdening you. Really picture this in your mind. Bring it to life. Take that step back. And let it all go. Lay it all down. for it is time now for you to rest. As you pause in this beautiful stillness, allow yourself to stop the doing, to stop the trying. To stop the holding so tightly onto everything because you were scared. You are safe. All is well. There is nothing for you to do in this moment except be. As you sit here in this moment, perhaps now is a good time to listen, to listen to your heart, to listen to your soul, to listen to your inner wisdom, for it is only when we pause to listen that we can realign. realign to our true selves. For you carry everything you need within, including the power to ground and calm and soothe yourself and your nervous system when you're feeling anxious, overwhelmed, or dysregulated. Whenever you feel that you need this support, it is here, deep within. Take as long as you need here, enjoying the peace and calm that comes. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow me at The Wellness Psychologist on Instagram if you would like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I have listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial.